You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of News Talk 770. Welcome to The Strong Room, presented by Macmillan Estate Planning. I'm Herb Hamm. Coming up on the program today, some timely and expert advice on tax planning in light of changes in tax laws that are coming into effect at the provincial and federal levels. But first, the insights of Dr. Gary Buffone, acclaimed author of the book, Choking on the Silver Spoon. Dr. Buffone has in-depth experience working with people and families, many of whom have achieved great success only to discover some of the unique challenges and problems that often come with good fortune. From teaching youngsters about money, to dealing with the entitled teen, to how to best transfer assets to adult children, Dr. Buffon says when we're talking about silver spoon syndrome, we're talking about a set of behaviors that are learned. And so when I say that, uh, the good news is the uh, behaviors that, that that parents teach kids and that kids learn, they can also unlearn. So there, uh, parents need to understand that uh, even though there may be some problems that come along with this, these are all problems that can be corrected. Uh, it's, it's not like someone inherits this tendency and, and it can't be changed. It can be. And so I want to start out with that note. What are the signs of silver spoon syndrome? There are ways that there, there are very certain things that kids develop or over time that parents can recognize in, in the event they have some concerns about the, uh, their children. The first is um, these kids tend to be uh, underachievers. Uh, in other words, uh, they, have, they typically have great potential, but it's never realized uh, because these kids have never really developed what we, we would consider a strong work ethic. So one of the first things uh, that parents can look for are children that just don't seem to measure up or uh, realize uh, their potential. Uh, So that's one of the things that they need to keep an eye out for. A second is um, they tend to have low frustration tolerance. In other words, they they tend to have difficulty sticking with things, uh, particularly if there's any kind of problem or adversity. So, uh, you know, things that don't really take a lot of time or energy, um, they, can, they can do that. But if it takes uh, a lot of effort, they tend to give up too soon. Hmm. Another is uh, narcissistic entitlement. And what I mean by that, uh, and this is oftentimes seen in adolescent kids, uh, they think the world is uh, their oyster. And they expect special treatment when, in fact, there's no need or a requirement for that. Uh, another is uh, they, they are not financially responsible. They don't know much about money. They don't know how to handle it. They don't know how to save it. And that creates all kinds of problems. And lastly, their values tend to be distorted. So they oftentimes uh, tend to be uh, very consumeristic and uh, overly focused on money and things that money can buy. The interesting thing about silver spoon syndrome is not all found in uh, wealthy families. Um, it really has to do more with a style of parenting where parents will get to where they, they, they're, they're usually well-intended, but what they try to do is save their kids from this, the kind of adversity 
they want their kids' lives to be better than their, theirs was growing up. So in their attempt to be protective and to save these kids from the adversity they experienced, which is what built their character in the first place, they tend to buy their way out of situations that the kids really need to experience in order to grow up. So then when we move to how parents can protect their kids from silver spoon syndrome, it would really speak to this style of parenting and what might be some specific ways we can get a better outcome as parents? Well, they, they need to understand it's, it's never a good idea. And again, parents aren't usually conscious of doing this, but it's never a good idea to, to substitute money or things for their direct involvement with the children. Uh, and that's what happens, uh, particularly with uh, families where you have two parents that are working. I mean, they have, they have good incomes or great incomes in some cases, and they, they don't spend the time. They don't have the time. They don't spend the time with their kids, and, when, and oftentimes they feel guilty. As a result of that, they tend to use money as a way of trying to substitute uh, as a substitute for their involvement, and that's, that's sort of the base of this. Uh, that also takes us to the five laws of financial parenting, which uh, uh, is other ways that our parents can uh, act in order to be uh, uh, sort of protect their kids from developing the problem. Mm-hmm. Can you take us through those five laws? Sure. Um, the first is the law of necessity. Um, and parents, again, need to be conscious of these kind of choices. But the uh, what this law has to do with is, um, you know, when you're dealing with kids, the only thing they really need is love and limits. Everything else is gravy. So uh, when you come to decisions, you know, should I buy this for them or that for them, um, they really need to think about whether it's anything the child needs or not. And in most cases, once they have the, the essentials, which is, again, love and limits, everything else is something they, they really can consider uh, leaving off, despite the kids' objections. The, the second has to do with, uh, as I just mentioned, loving limits. Uh, kids don't get enough of what they call the no vitamin. Um you know, parents are typically, uh, yes, you know, yes, yes, yes. And a lot of parents have trouble saying no. But without those kind of limits and boundaries, uh, kids cannot develop the way they really need to. The third is the law of reciprocity. This has to do with teaching kids they need to earn what they get. That There is no free lunch. There is no free ride. And, uh, you know, they have to give in life in order to be able to get. And so that's that's really what that concerns. The law of fiscal responsibility has to do with uh, helping kids to learn to handle money responsibly, uh, teaching them how to uh, be savvy in terms of making money decisions. And the last is the law of example. This is the hardest part for, for a lot of parents because essentially they need to be able to live the way they want their children uh, to be, uh, it's uh, a lot of parents get, are hypocritical in some sense because they'll they'll try to teach their parents, but the most important way they can do that is by the example they set for themselves. Hmm. 
Speaking of examples, might you have a case study or a story or two from your uh, in-depth experience that might illustrate some of these points? Uh, yes. Um, I've, uh, there's an example uh, of a, uh, a family, uh, a wife and husband, who, are, who came to see me. They, um, they were in their adult uh, years. They were in their late 20s. They had, several, they had three kids of their own. Uh, the problem they came in with, the husband actually was the owner of the problem in some sense. But um, in, in this case, it wasn't the parents, but the grandparents that really created a lot of the problems. Uh, they had a grandmother uh, who had uh, granted, he and he had three siblings, all four siblings. When they turned 18 years of old, she gave 18 years old, they gave or she gave each of them $5 million each. And this was against the parents' wishes. So you can imagine the, the uh, devastating effect that had on kids uh, age 18 who had no idea as to how to handle that, that sort of money. Um, and they developed, he developed uh, a lot of the difficulties in terms of being able to be responsible with money, uh, being able to handle it well, being able to sort of deal with the uh, many decisions that have to be made without the kind of maturity that's necessary to make them properly. So uh, we spent some years uh, trying to help him get to a point where he could live his life productively, given the fact that he was crippled by uh, this large sum of money that he was given as a child. What would be your advice to parents to effectively get the family talk going what is the right approach well i i I, as you mentioned that can be a big problem what i try to encourage is uh for parents to talk more openly about money matters in some cases i think it's good for kids uh starting this even when children are young to have family money meetings if, if it involves the family making decisions about something that has to do with financial uh, this is not. A, this should not be a taboo topic. You know, something that parents talk about behind closed doors, just between themselves. I think it's important to involve the children in these kind of discussions and talk about money and what it means and how to spend it and such uh, over the course of their lifetime. So I think it is important to maintain that communication, the open communication, uh, in the family at any given time. Our thanks to Dr. Gary Buffon for guesting with us on The Strong Room today. You can learn more about the psychology of family money at familywealthresource.com. That's familywealthresource.com. And when we return after this short break, our experts highlight some powerful tax-saving strategies. This is The Strong Room. <laughs> 